Welcome to the social medium. No, I'm not a medium, but I do love different mediums, like social media and podcasting. You may know me from Savoir Vive by JJ, or my Beauty Fuel Food by JJ. Now, I am a business founder and entrepreneur. Take three, let's do this. I am so excited because this morning I had the pleasure of interviewing my teacher, Krista Cahill, born and raised in California. How did your yoga journey begin? Well, I, I was sort of accidental finding yoga. Um, you know, I'd done a lot of things before yoga, uh, a lot of sports activities and things like that. And so, of course, um, you know, I was stretching a lot. So I was already uh, kind of tuned into this idea that the body needs, you know, some, some love and, and daily attention, especially if you're an athlete. And it was kind of an accident um, as I was about to take a surf one day, I knew it wasn't a good day for me to surf because I was having some, some problems with my back. Um, and instead, I turned to the yoga studio and it happened to be an Ashtanga uh, shala. And I went and I practiced a class and it was really my first introduction to what I would say is true yoga. And yeah, I never stopped since that day. One thing led to another and uh, yoga became my entire life. And how old were you and whose class was it? Um, I was 19. Uh, it was a teacher by the name of Tim Miller. And I was, I was really uh, content after the class. I felt that what I needed, I got in that moment. And really, the rest is history. In France, people are much more connected. I mean, there's, there's a bit of everything, but people are much more connected to traditional yoga practices and, and going to India and having uh, an experience there more so than the U.S. But in the U.S., from what I can understand, you did go on this traditional path at one point or another. And what brought you to doing that, to going to India and discovering? Well, in the tradition of Ashtanga, um, you know, you, you basically practice on your own in a Mysore style. Mysore style means self-paced practice. And, you know, once in a while, uh, once a week, you would do a lead practice. And so basically, the guru was coming from India and he was touring around and doing these lead practices. So... I think it was probably around six months I had been practicing. And of course, Patabi Joyce, the guru, came from India. And, you know, there's just, there's literally no way to explain what his energy felt like. Because it was something that you have to experience to understand. But the best way that I can put it into words is this man just had so much Shakti so much time and dedication to his own practice that his energy was just overflowing and we must we were a few hundred people in the room so you know he was filling up that space which was a huge um a basketball court a basketball stadium and he was just filling up this space with his tremendous shakti energy and really that's what 
provoked me to be interested in more close study with him in the self-paced practice, the Mysore style practice. And he was only doing that in India. So then that was my goal, you know, is to save up enough money. Um, as a young person, it's not that easy to, you know, go and travel the world. But uh, at some point I got there and yeah, you know, it's just one of those things that you have to be led by your heart to these experiences. And I do believe that there's some predestined uh, experiences we are meant to have. And for me, I believe this was something that I was meant to do. It was everything, like every experience, um, terrifying and exciting and uh, difficult and also blissful. You know, it's it's... It's totally different when in India when you're practicing yoga because, you know, really that's all you're doing all day long. So, you know, you don't have to work. You don't have to, you know, go grocery shopping. You're not living your normal life. You're basically living the life of what Guruji, the, the guru, Patabi Joyce would call like a renunciate where your whole day is dedicated to eating a certain way that helps your practice be the best it can be, and then practicing for two, three hours, doing a philosophy class or a Sanskrit class, going to bed early, getting up, doing it again. So your whole life is this, you know, simplified spiritual experience in this place that's also deeply spiritual, and at the same time, difficult at the same same time, even though life is simplified, it's still a difficult experience. And so really, you know, you can't compare it to any practice in your life where you have to work and to get up and feed the kids and take, you know, your children to school or help with homework at night where you have so many distractions. You know, when you go to my sort of practice, uh, that's really all you're doing is focusing 100% your attention on on developing yourself on this path. And I think what's really interesting as well is the contrast between your reality at the time and also, I mean, our realities today, but especially in California, where a lot of people do practice yoga, but then there's also a lot of things that are, you know, quote unquote fake and, and whatever you want to call it. What was it like in contrast to your actual life? And did it feel like a big transition from the person that you were? It's funny because just like everything, uh, you know, you're making a little bit of progress. You're integrating these uh, ideas of how to live your life in a way that is in alignment with truth and love and, and compassion. And then, you know, you're also human with the habits that, of course, your family has imposed upon you, as well as beliefs, thoughts, and everything that creep in. And so, you know, it's a little bit of two steps forward, two steps back, sometimes three steps back, and then you have to go forward again, and you have to repeat. And there's never this easy straight line towards something. So when you're integrating a practice into your life, you know, it's probably going to take your whole life practicing every day and developing the tools to help you become steadier, you know? And of course, everybody has experienced being on a path and then, you know, being put off that path and having to find your way back. 
and knowing that every time you veer in the opposite direction that you know you have to make your way back and it's this continuous action of love and patience with yourself and you know it, it i believe it's going to take the whole of my life to get to a point where i'm able to live in the state of yoga whereas now and you know in this past 23 years of me practicing i observe myself steady on the path you know falling off getting back on and doing this in such a repetitive nature that i you know eventually hopefully will be able to walk and stay on the path that i know i'm destined to be on and at what point did Paris come into the picture because it's funny I remember the first time that I practiced with you I was at Aria's studio in uh, Boulogne and everyone was like you have to take this class this amazing teacher from LA is coming and at the time I definitely had I mean for somebody who also really began practicing also around 19 I didn't have a traditional practice at all at the beginning and it's not even the way that I really saw yoga I mean yes I was still going to it wasn't like dancey classes, but it was still like, you know, I saw it kind of as a workout, but work, mind workout, but it was very different to how I see things now. And um, I remember going to your class and I remember you coming in and, um, and taking your class. And I remember overhearing you say, oh my God, I just love it here. And I'd love to move here. And then, you know, it kind of like the buzz happening through teachers and everyone being like, oh, is Krista going to be able to stay and all this kind of stuff. What was going on in your brain? Well, you know, at some point, Yoga has changed a lot, which as things do in life, the more exposure and the more mainstream things get, the more things change. And that's natural and there's nothing we can do about it. We just have to accept that, you know, a big, big majority of yoga has kind of split into a fitness, more exercise-based yoga. And then, of course, you have some teachers who are still giving a more classical approach. Um, but in LA, it was more and more difficult to teach what I was feeling I wanted to teach and to move away from some of the more commercial ideas, even though I know in my logical brain that being mainstream, you know, playing music, doing fun choreography, things like that, you know, it's easy to make a living and it's easy to be well loved. Um, but at the end of that, I, I don't know, it's not really for me. And so the more I grew confident in myself as a teacher, the more I wanted to distill to the most pure form of classical yoga that I could. And not to say that I don't want to move my body and, and work hard, but I want to do it in a way that is, you know, paying respect to these teachings that I actually value deep in my heart. Um, and it was getting hard to do that in L.A. because, you know, L.A. is a big place. It's also very competitive. And, you know, in order to live your life, you have to at some point kind of bow to what the masses want. And Paris was a little bit newer in terms of the life of yoga. Um, and I just had the experience being here that people were just a bit more open. 
And, you know, when I said, okay, let's do, for example, two minutes of meditation in the beginning, you know, people would actually sit and close their eyes and focus on their breathing. And to me, that was a battle that I didn't have to fight, <laughs> making my life easier, making what I was trying to give uh, easier to do. And, you know, when I was in LA, uh, I would ask, you know, can we please close the eyes, sit still for a moment? And, you know, uh, three quarters of the people would be doing handstands or Pilates or, you know, doing something else. So, you know, for me, it was like, I can spend my life, you know, teaching mainstream yoga, or I can spend my life, you know, trying to convince people to sit quietly and close their eyes. And, and really, neither option was for me. So I decided to move on to find something else, something where there was some openness for me to, to fit into. And I'm really happy I did. I mean, the community here I have found has been extremely welcoming and supportive. And, you know, I'm actually really, really grateful for this opportunity to teach the way I want to teach and to not be pressured to teach in a way that, you know, I, I really just don't believe that um, exercise yoga is going to help people to to find their true destined path. I think that it's for me, I, I really see it as a distraction away from the important stuff, which is, you know, to be kinder to yourself and to to really develop a, a relationship to to yourself and to your habits and to the inner voices, everything that gets in our way of moving forward and living life to the fullest potential. That totally resonates with me, the, the distraction aspect, because I think actually, I remember being in New York and going through so many different things and remembering of how I really dealt with them. Um, like I remember just going into the studio and it really being that moment of, okay, I'm not gonna think about this right now. But then when it was still there, when I left and it didn't really feel any better, it's just that maybe I felt some kind of release because I had exercised. Um, and I also found what was so awesome was that, you know, yesterday I actually was able to kind of take your class for teachers totally um, per chance. And it was so interesting, you know, and, and amazing that, first of all, so many teachers respect you so much, which, I mean, obviously I'm not surprised, but to listen to also what you say to teachers. When you get together with your colleagues, with your peers, the conversation is much deeper and different than when you're getting together with the people who you consider to be your friends or your clients or, you know, the people who, who are part of your yoga community um, in terms of students. So, you know, when us teachers get together, it's it's more about connecting and saying, you know, all the all the troubles that you have in your daily work life, I understand. <laughs> and I'm here to let you know that you're not alone and that all of us are trying our best, you know, um, as a community to to serve and to serve in a way that, you know, <laughs> helps humanity a little bit because like my teacher Mati has said many times it's like you know we have an opportunity when we when we meet a student or when we when we walk into the room to make somebody's life a little bit better and to give them the tools so that they can help themselves to make their life better and 
you know, as teachers, it's difficult because you you're trying to impart wisdom and, you know, a path and and things don't always go the way you want them to go because you have many personalities in the room. Sometimes you have people who they're not looking for anything more than, you know, some physical engagement. And as teachers, you know, you, you have to separate that away from your job, which is just to give and serve and to, to know that whatever messages, whatever teachings are happening, it's just what it, the people in the room are meant to have. And, you know, you just have to be a channel for that information to get across. But I think that we can commiserate together as teachers and to say, yeah, you know, this is not an easy job. This, this job takes a lot of your energy. And at the end of the day, sometimes you just feel at zero, you know, and, and that everybody, you're not alone. Everybody feels like that um, at any given moment. And um, I think also this notion of energy is really interesting because kind of a word that we throw around a lot. What, what would you define as energy? Well, I kind of hold close to the idea of the, the yoga philosophy of energy. So for me, energy is prana. Prana is a, vi a vital life force. So we take in through our pranavayu, which is essentially the heart, we take in, you know, oxygen on a physical level, but thoughts, impressions, uh, the, even the food we eat, the water we drink, everything that contributes to our vitality is, is processed through the pranavayu, which is the heart center. So for me, energy is that which comes in through the heart and then the heart is moving that energy into the various parts of the body and that's for me that's energy but you know energy can also be thoughts impressions words vibration for example and speaking of what you put into your body know also that you mentioned that you did do some classes to be a chef when you were younger, if we circle back in LA, there's so many people that are vegan, whereas here fewer and you're vegan. And I'm wondering if this came along with your yoga practice. Talking about classical yoga teachings and, and we're talking about the first step should really be the most important step is pure, clean intake of food. And, and everything that you eat and drink is going to affect every part of your life. So food is the most critical place that you can make a big change to feel better, to have, um, you know, more clarity and connection to your body. So I was a vegetarian almost my whole life. Um, I went to culinary school when I was 17 to the Cordon Bleu. I trained as a classical French chef. And I graduated in 1999, the same year I started yoga. And I actually was working as a pastry chef at the time when I started yoga as a practitioner. So um, food has always played a huge part in my life. And at some point, um, I did try to become a consumer of meat product. And I tried that for a little while. And, you know, it just was not something that was working for me in my life. And so I, I returned back to vegetarianism and then around, 
I guess five years after that, I turned to being mostly plant-based. So every once in a while, I have a little maybe feta cheese or something, you know, off the, off the diet. But for the most part, I would say about 90% of what I eat is just plant-based. Some people might think like, wow, that is so incredibly drastic and so restrictive. Um, whereas, I mean, you're taking it from ancient you know, yogic philosophy, but how would you kind of explain kind of a plant-based diet to somebody who just like doesn't get it? Well, I think, you know, number one, like yoga, there's not a one size fits all, you know, and, and food is, is first of all, it's very deeply personal. It's cultural. Uh, many people have food addictions. So also, you know, you, you know, when you're talking to people, you can see sometimes like these heavy attachments to, you know, I like to eat what I like and, and that's it. And that's okay. You know, I think that, um, I think that when somebody is curious, they'll be willing to try it one day a week, you know, for example, meatless Mondays, vegan Mondays. Um, and just to see, you know, what is that one day of doing that feel like? And if it's attractive to you, if you feel better, add another day, maybe you do it on Friday or Saturday or a day when you have lots of extra time to prepare and and make a nice meal or go somewhere and have a, a freshly prepared plant-based meal. And I don't think you have to do all or nothing in life in terms of like yoga philosophy, for example. You know, you have the renunciate life, which is like the life of doing nothing but yoga and going to Sanskrit classes and making your food and eating nothing that isn't, you know, cooked by a, a spiritual person. And you can go really to the extreme um, or, you know, there's also the option of living your life as what's called a householder. And that's what most of us are. Most of us, we have lives, jobs, kids, we have complicated, you know, circumstances. And you have to be willing to meet yourself where you're at, you know. And so if you can do whatever percentage of whole foods and, uh, you know, plant-based do what you can do your do whatever is possible and don't beat yourself up about whatever is not possible and you know i i do really believe that everyone is doing the best that they can and for some people it's just simply a matter of trying a little bit and letting that help them to get more comfortable with the idea of something different. It's funny because this makes me think of when I asked you how you met your husband. So for example, you know, this is another circumstance of somebody just being, you know, coincidentally on the mat next to me and asking me a simple question about, you know, a little injury. And, you know, I mentioned try cutting out, you know, cigarettes, alcohol, coffee, meat, cheese, eggs, all of that, just eat like a clean diet and see if you feel better because so much of our inflammation and the things that we, you know, feel uncomfortable about in our bodies come from just simple inflammation. So if you simplify the diet, a lot of times the body has the ability to bring itself back to center. And sure enough, you know, that's what happened. And, and this sparked a curiosity in him. And then he already had the Kapkunka restaurants. And so we started cooking together for fun. And one thing led to another. And, you know, the idea came around that, okay, 
it would be interesting to change the pad thai, to change the, you know, all the, the dishes to vegan and to have a vegan Thai restaurant. And uh, yeah, it's, it's kind of one of those fun stories where, you know, one thing leads to the next and eventually, voila, there you go. You have a new, you've birthed a new idea. Truly for some people, they really just have never imagined or had the idea that changing your diet can impact the way that your body feels. And also when you're practicing yoga, it's definitely going to impact the quality of your practice. I think it's so interesting because it's actually something we think about so infrequently. Like we try to think, and I I say this for for myself as well, like I'll think that that something's going on and that there's a problem. And then instead of thinking about the most basic things, like what I put into my body, we think about so many other things like, oh my gosh, what if I have a real problem? This and the other thing. And we go through all of these ideas in our heads when it actually can be so simple. And that's why it's good to study classical yoga because there's, there's a program laid out for you. It's like, you start with this, you know, step one in the yogic path, according to Patanjali, it's yama, you know, and, and you start slowly and you you go step by step and you, you, you know, it's laid out for you. So you're not, you're not alone. You're not without some mentoring guidance, but it's just, I think that you know, the mind can be a tricky place and we can tell ourselves stories and get caught up in those stories. And I think that really it's important to remember, okay, what can I do right now? Because right now is really the only thing I have control over. And how can I start right now to make a simple change in my life that helps me to get back to where I want to be? And that can be with anything. It doesn't have to be with a physical injury. That is... um I think a really, really beautiful note to end on. And um, I am so glad that we took the time to record this podcast. I am so happy to have heard your story. And thank you so much for sharing it with me, Krista. Oh, such a pleasure, Jesse. Thank you so much and sending you lots of love and light.